Hello and welcome to the Travels with Jim Hamill podcast. This is episode 10 in our Ireland series and today what I want to do is give you some tips on navigating your way around Ireland. And this is going to be applicable whether you're on your own or if you have someone like me that's carting you around. Either way, sooner or later you're going to need to understand the roads, you're going to need to understand directions and figure out how to find your way around. So that's what I want to do here. Now, if you're still in the planning phase of your Ireland trip, then you're probably wondering, how do I get around? Should I get a car? Can I take trains or some other public transportation? Or what do I do? The answer to that is that you're going to need to do one of two things. You can either go on a tour with someone like me, and they have those around Ireland, because it is difficult to get around in some ways. Or you can rent a car. I've done that several times, and there are certain tricky parts to it. Obviously, they drive on the other side of the road than you're probably used to. There's some small roads in the areas that you're going to want to go and some things like that. But I've done it several times without any problem at all, so it's certainly something that can be done. But let me address public transportation because that might be something you're used to in other parts of Europe or other parts of the world. And it's really just not an option here. They have a train system in Ireland, but it really just connects Dublin with other large cities or towns. In other words, if you wanted to go from Dublin to Belfast or Dublin to Galway or Dublin to Cork, for example, then you can get trains. But the areas where you're going to want to go are the most scenic places, and they're typically rather remote, and there's just not not train service there. So it's not something that you're going to be able to do. You're going to need to get a car or go on a tour. Anyway, that's something you'll decide in the planning phase. And then if you're getting close, then you've already probably crossed that bridge and you're now in a position where you're either coming on a tour or going to get the car. So let's talk in general about how the road system works there and how addresses work and how you can navigate your way through this. Let's start with the roads. And there's basically a system to this, and it consists of four different types of roads. First, they have what are called M roads. And you'll see these, they have like M1, M4. You know, they're usually a one digit with an M. And these are the equivalent of interstate highways. They're going to have your typical on-ramps and off-ramps and and that sort of thing. Sometimes they're actually tollways. There's actually 11 toll roads in Ireland, so you might have to deal with that. But they're just pretty much what you're used to when you travel on an interstate. The problem is there's not that many of them. And just like I mentioned with the trains, they pretty much just connect big cities. On my tour, we're basically going to be on them on the first day when we're getting out of Dublin and headed out to the West Coast. And then the last day when we're coming back to Dublin from Galway. But other than that, you're not going to be on them. When you go up and down the west coast of Ireland, which is the most scenic area, there's almost none. So these are not something that you're going to be on very much. They're the best way to get around in terms of speed, but they're the worst way to get around in terms of scenery. You'll see virtually nothing scenic from an M road anyway. Once you get out of the realm of the equivalent of interstate highways, you have three classes of roads. They're from largest to smallest N roads, which stands for national, R roads, which stands for regional, and L roads, which stands for local. And when you look at a road or a road sign, you'll be able to tell right away what it is. They'll have an N 
typically say if it's an end road and then it'll be two digits so in 59 might be a road that you're on then the r roads what that stands for regional and as you might expect those are smaller but you'll still use those from time to time and they'll have three digits so whereas n will say say n59 again r might say r241 or some number like that then L will actually have four digits, and L, I believe, stands for local, and these are really small roads. Basically, we won't be on these very much as we're going from point to point. And then once you're in towns, they'll actually have names for roads that they'll use more so than sort of an L or N or something like that. So once you get into town, there's names, but when you're outside of town going point to point, then you have this system of N, R, and L roads. And like I said, you can tell what you're on by the number of digits, too. The bigger the road, the uh, smaller the number, essentially. So remember that. Anyway, that leads to another thing, which is addresses. And you'll probably notice this right away as you're looking up places, as you're looking up your hotels and attractions and things like that, is that very often they don't even have a number on them. They might just say Strand Street or, you know, some road. And there won't be a number. It's confusing at first because then how do you know which building is? How do you know which house it is or office it is or whatever? The reality is it's because that usually these streets are really small. Or not small, but short. Very often, and this is true throughout Europe, a street is a block. And then if you go to the next block, it's a new street name. And then the next block is a new street name. And this idea that the same street just goes on for miles and miles, as near as I can tell, seems to be an American thing because I haven't really seen it anywhere else. Wherever I've been in Europe, they do this thing where they, they're changing street names all the time. And it seems weird to you if you're coming from the U.S. because you're like, I'm on the same road. Why does it keep changing names? It doesn't make any sense. But that's how they do it there. And going back to the address issue, that's how come they can not have a street number or whatever is because if it's only a block then typically they don't have to worry about that as much or at least I assume that's why they did it but in any event the point for you is that don't be surprised if there isn't a street number and you'll just have to look up and down that block in order to figure out the actual place that you're looking to go and speaking of that then the next thing to think about is how are you going to actually navigate your way around Ireland and it's really funny in thinking about this because 15 years ago, say, and then going back for basically a thousand years, the answer would have been a map. And, you know, I used to go that way as well. I remember going to Europe with nothing more than a, a little atlas or maybe a few maps. And now, man, I would no more try to navigate with a paper map than I would try to count with an abacus. It just seems like ancient technology. And it's an amazing thing how fast that's changed. So what you're going to deal with now is some sort of GPS. If you're getting a car, then you have an option. You can pay for GPS or roll the dice. What I mean by that is that if you, whenever you go to rent a car, they'll have an upcharge for GPS and it's typically by the day. So, you know, if you're just going for a few days or you just have your car for a few days, then maybe it's something you might want to consider. But for me, you know, when I'm going on these things, they're usually in the neighborhood of two weeks. And so paying by the day really doesn't make a lot of sense. So I don't get it. What I typically do is roll the dice and not pay for the GPS. And every time I've ever done that, the GPS has already been included anyway. And I was able to have it on my car. So 
that is something you might do. Don't blame me if it doesn't work, but for me, it always has. There's another option too, which is to use your phone. And that's what most of us do. Certainly that's what most of us do at home. And there's two things you need to think about when it comes to Ireland. First is, and I want to make you aware of this because I wasn't, and I actually got pulled over for this, but it is 100% illegal to be touching your phone while you're driving, even as a map. So if you have your map in your hand or you touch it at all to get directions, that is illegal in Ireland. And if my experience is any indication, they are looking for it because I got pulled over, like I said. Luckily, he just yelled at me a little and then let me go. But I did want you to be aware of that, that really the only legal answer, if you're going to use your phone for navigation, is to have your passenger do the navigation for you and tell you where to go. So that's the first issue. The second issue is, of course, that you'll need a international plan in order to get data that you'll need for this. This causes people some consternation sometimes that they don't seem to want to pay for this. But I'm just telling you right now, do yourself a favor and get yourself an international plan when you go to Ireland. You're paying a lot for the trip already. This extra charge isn't that significant and it's going to just make you feel a lot better. I use AT&T. AT&T has a great plan, which is basically 10 bucks a day. So just make sure your phone is good to go before you leave for Ireland. And then it's 10 bucks a day, but only if you use the data. If you don't use data, then you don't get charged. It's basically there if you need it. But then once you sort of crack the seal for that day, then you can use it all you want and it's only 10 bucks. A question you might have right away is, when do you use data? Let's talk about texting. If you receive a text, that is not using data. They give you that for free, and I believe that's true under any carrier. So you can get texts and not have it charge you. If you send a text, now you're using data. So if you don't want to get charged, you can't send a text. That, that will have application in a group like mine though because that way I can send blast texts out to the whole group and they're not being charged and there shouldn't be any reason why they need to to text me back so that's one thing to consider the other thing to consider if you're not already familiar with this is that wi-fi is not data in the sense of being charged for it and your hotel will have wi-fi there will be restaurants and pubs and things like that that will also have wi-fi so you can get away with not using data by simply constraining your activities, at least your online activities, to your hotel or designated places that actually have Wi-Fi. And then if you happen to receive a text, then that won't you won't be charged for that. So anyway, you can get away with it. Like I said, I would get it anyway. I should mention I looked at some other plans too. It looks like that if you went with the other carriers and those are like Verizon or T-Mobile or whatever, it looked like it was in the, in the neighborhood of 80 to 100 bucks, no matter who you use. And basically that just gets you a month. And you know, almost never are you going for longer than that. Usually it's a week or two. So you just plan on 75 bucks, 100 bucks, something like that. And you'll find with AT&T, that's gonna be kind of what it ends up being anyway. If you went for say a full two weeks, it would be 140, but that assumes you use it absolutely every day. If you do that, then you're going to be in good shape most of the time. Occasionally, there'll be areas on the West Coast where you won't have cell signal, but those areas are getting fewer and further between. And so I think 
that'll very rarely be a problem. There's a couple ways you can try to save money on this if you really want. And, and I did this one time and it works okay. Get a portable Wi-Fi. If you get a portable Wi-Fi, they will typically allow a number of users. So say you're a family of four, you can get a portable Wi-Fi. The company I use is, is Solis, S-O-L-I-S, and they allow five users at any given time. They charge you 10 bucks a day, as I recall. I haven't used it in a while. But they allow up to five devices to connect. So again, going back to your family of four, if the four of you get one portable Wi-Fi and just pay that one charge, then you could put it in your car or whatever you're, you're going around with. And that way everybody can be on the Wi-Fi and you're only paying for one thing. So that's another option to consider. That's a way that you can potentially save some money. But honestly, I just recommend that you bite the bullet and get an international plan and just consider it part of the trip expense. And remember that as a percentage of your overall trip, it's going to be very low and, and so just do it. And that's true whether or not you're someone that is on a tour like with me or if you're driving around. I think if you're driving around, it's, it's absolutely a must. But even if you're on a tour, you're going to find yourself sort of walking around Dublin, walking around Dingle or Galway or, or, or someplace. And it's just really nice to have the little blue dot that shows you where you are, that you can then find your way back to your hotel or find the restaurant that you're supposed to be at or whatever. It's just a good comforting thing to have and I just think it's worth the price that you're gonna pay. So anyway, that is all about the roads and how you might get around, but now let's talk about if you're on your own, the best and perhaps only way to get around, which is renting a car. Let me tell you some things uh, up front that to show you that you can do this, that number one, you don't need an international driver's license. You can just roll in with your normal driver's license and that will be fine. The other thing is that they do have the standard American uh, rental car companies like Hertz and Avis and Dollar and Alamo and all those. Those are gonna be at the airports, both the Dublin airport and the Shannon airport. So you can get your, your sort of standard fare American style rental companies uh, in addition to some Irish Irish ones as well, but it's pretty familiar or it should be if you've rented cars in the past. There are some things to be aware of right away and, and a lot of this early stuff, I, I think you already know, but I just wanna make sure. The cars are gonna be pretty small and they're gonna have what might appear to you to be deceptive names. For example, when I first went to Ireland, I think I got a like a midsize SUV or a large SUV or something like that. And it was more like what I would consider a crossover or even a hatchback. The best way to think about it is that a intermediate will be a small, a large will be an intermediate, and a, a huge will be a large. So just think sort of one size down from what you would normally think, and, and that'll help you. Like I said, the cars are small, but that's not necessarily terrible. Keep in mind that where you're going to be is probably Western Ireland, and it's a rather unpopulated place. It's the most scenic place and the roads are small. Sometimes you're gonna be shocked. You're gonna look at these roads and wonder how in the world two cars could ever pass each other on these roads, but it does happen without incident all the time. So you don't need to be as worried as you might otherwise be. Obviously the distances will be in kilometers, not miles. So be aware of that when you see a number, it's kilometers. 
Uh, and you'll probably come to like that. At least I did. And what you'll find too is that in terms of how far you're going to go, how fast, what you're going to find on most of your medium-sized roads is that it's about a kilometer a minute. And if you look up Google Maps or Apple Maps or whatever and try to and have it tell you how far to the next place, it'll usually use that one minute per kilometer speed. Um, gas is expensive, which is another reason it's nice to have the smaller car. It won't appear that expensive when you see it on the sign because it's measured in liters, which is obviously much smaller than gallons. But once you sort of do all the conversions, convert liters to gallons and convert euros to dollars and do all that, you're going to realize that it's quite a bit more expensive than what you're probably used to paying at home. Anyway, another thing is you're going to have to get used to if you're not already is roundabouts. They have a lot of roundabouts. Um, the key to remember there is that whoever's in the roundabout already has the right of way. So if you're about to enter a roundabout, then you yield. You don't necessarily need to stop if there's nobody coming, but you yield to any traffic that's already in. And once you're in the roundabout, then you don't stop. So if you see somebody trying to get in, you have the right of way. You keep going around that roundabout and then you exit uh, where you need to go. So that's how they work. And after you do it a few times, it'll be really easy. So I wouldn't worry about that. The big issue that everybody worries about is driving on the left side. Uh, and it, it can be scary. I remember the first time I went to the UK and drove, this is many years ago, I went and rented a car. And when I pulled out of the rental lot, I just got behind somebody and just did exactly what they did and basically went about 10 miles out of my way because uh, I just kind of wanted to drive on a road and get used to the car and get used to everything before I sort of ventured on my own. So they can be a little intimidating, but once you get the hang of it, it's no big deal at all. One thing to be aware of, though, is that it's likely that you're going to be driving a stick. Well, unless you want to pay for an automatic. One of the things I learned recently, because I was going to try to teach one of my daughters how to drive a stick, and I thought it would be good to go rent one and, and do it on a rental car, but it's virtually impossible to get a standard transmission rental car in the United States. I, I didn't realize that. In Ireland, though, it's actually more common, and in fact, you'll pay significantly more if you want an automatic. So I usually get sticks when I'm there just to, to save the money. So unless you pay the upcharge, then you're going to have a stick shift too. So if you can drive a stick, do it. It's great. But if you can't, then you'll have to pay extra for the automatic. When it comes to driving the stick, it'll obviously be on the left side, not your right. But the feet will be the same. In other words, your gas pedal will be on the right and your clutch and brake will be on the left. So your feet will be the same, but you'll be shifting with a different hand. It takes, you know, a few minutes to get used to, but you will. And then it's, it's really not that hard. One thing I want to bring to your attention, and you're going to need to look into this before you go, is insurance on your rental car. Now, if you want insurance on your rental car, then you're in good shape because Ireland basically forces you to get it. I'm someone that in the United States, when I get a rental car, I never get the insurance on it. In Ireland, they basically try to force you to do it. They have something called CDW, which stands for Collision Damage Waiver, and they usually have a few different types of this. Collision Damage Waiver is usually something where there's a pretty high deductible, something like $2,000 or euros, I should say. You pay your premium, 
which is pretty significant, but then you're only responsible for, say, that first $2,000 or $2,500, and then on top of that, the rental company takes care of it. So if you were to total the car, then that would limit your liability. They also have something called Super CDW, and that is where you can bring that limit down essentially to zero. So you pay quite a bit more on a per-day basis, but then if something did happen to the car, you're completely covered. What you're going to find is if you just rent a car online and then you go to the rental counter, they're going to say you have to get the insurance. The only way out of that is to put a really big deposit on your credit card or debit card or whatever. And, you know, it's thousands of dollars, as I recall. I want to say it was 5000 but it's been a while since I did that. And keep in mind that this is a significant issue because these rental charges will essentially double the amount of your rental car. So it's not an insignificant cost. And if you're someone like me that doesn't usually get it, it kind of comes out of left field at you when they try to force you to get it. You can, if you have a certain credit card, I know some American Expresses and some other cards have some sort of insurance on it. But even to get that apply, you need to look into it because they're going to want some sort of written statement that this covers. So you might want to call your credit card company and see what that is, or you might want to call the rental company ahead of time and see what they're going to require. All I'm trying to do is avoid you getting up to the rental counter and having them surprise you by telling them, telling you that you have to get a really expensive insurance under your car that you were unprepared for. So either be prepared to pay a lot more or Take some steps by contacting the rental car company or the credit card company or whoever ahead of time and see what you can do to not have to pay that. Anyway, that pretty well covers rental cars. Let me end with three tips on driving in rental cars around Ireland. The first is that when you get there, don't be in a rush to get the car and get out of Dodge. And I usually am for some reason. I don't know why, but I want to get the rental car and get on the road. And what I find is much better is spend 15, 20 minutes getting used to the car, getting your navigation set up, getting your chargers plugged in, figuring out how the car works. European cars, and, and a lot of times the cars that you rent will be European, have slightly different ways of doing things than you might be used to. And spending that 15, 20 minutes getting things set up properly is just a good use of your time, I promise you. So do that. That's my first tip. The second tip is that be sure when you're traveling in Ireland that you are not in a hurry, much more so than you might otherwise be. I know it's sort of trite to just say, hey, go slow, but go slow. This is something that I learned. Actually, I had to haul a trailer down to Florida and I was really worried about it. And I went slow though, and it made everything so much easier that there was never anybody in front of me. There was never anybody I had to stop short for. There was never anything like that. You just simply drove on the road and it made everything easy. And once I did that, I started applying elsewhere, including driving in sort of Europe and Ireland and places like that. And what you'll find is that if you're going slow, there's never anything in front of you that you need to worry about and you have plenty of time to react and everything's good. You'll sometimes get some tension because they'll get somebody behind you and you'll feel like now you need to go faster. But make liberal use of these little pull-offs they have, particularly on small roads, that you'll be going along and it looks like barely more than a one-lane road. 
and they have these little pull-offs. And I think they're mostly designed for when people are coming at each other head-on that they can, one side or the other, can pull into this pull-off and they can get past each other. But you can also use them to let the people behind you go on past you, too. These people are more familiar with the roads and driving with Ireland, so let them go and just take it easy. That's my advice to you, and it will pay big dividends. The third thing actually applies before you go to Ireland. And what I recommend you do is spend some time on Google Street View looking around some of the places you're going to be in Ireland. And that'll let you get some familiarity with the roads and the intersections and kind of the signs that you're going to be dealing with so that when you get there, it isn't such a culture shock. Obviously, you don't need to go through every place that you're going to go, but just some of the places, particularly the places that you'll be early in the trip. And then that familiarity will help you. You'll actually feel like you've already been there in certain ways and then you should be in good shape in your car. So anyway, those are my three tips for that. I do have one more overall tip and this applies in the planning phase and in the time that you're in Ireland, which is this, and I say this all the time, which is the only way to screw up a trip to Ireland is to spend it all in the car. That's just not the way you wanna go. It can make things miserable. If you're not in the car, then everything's great. So when you're in the planning phase, make sure you're not trying to plan too much and make sure that you're realistic about how fast you're going to get from place to place. Don't be afraid to scale it back. There's this tendency that like, oh, I'm only going to be here once. I need to see everything. I need to get, get after it and go. And like I said, that's just a recipe for making yourself miserable. So don't do it. Be very sort of deliberate about where you're going to go. There are so many great places in Ireland. A big part of the planning process is this sort of culling out of places and only going to the, to the best places. If you ever have any questions about that, shoot me an email and I'll try to help you decide between places. That will make sure you're making the best use of your time and avoiding this thing where you try to see everything. And in that regard too, don't try to circumnavigate Ireland unless you have three weeks or longer. Anyway, with that said, I believe that's everything you need to know to navigate Ireland and get around in the best ways possible. I appreciate you listening to my ramblings and I will talk to you later.